New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, here's surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Caleb is 10, but he still looks like the four-year-old we adopted back in Philadelphia. When I say he hasn't aged, I don't mean he looks young for his age. I mean he hasn't aged at all. He wears the same size shoe and clothing as he did when he was four. He is the same height and weight. He has the same childish giggle, the same porcelain doll skin. It still baffles my wife, Brienne, and me. Brienne and I picked up Caleb at the adoption agency one day in January. When we arrived, Caleb was waiting for us, bundled in his navy fishtail parka, with a fuzzy brown hood that made him look like a little bear. He held a small red suitcase. That's all you got? I asked, glancing at the suitcase and tousling his hair under his hood. Caleb gazed up at me with his emerald green doe eyes, his mouth downturned in a little frown. I don't have much to bring, he said. I only have one toy, a puppy. Brienne cooed and cawed with maternal pride, but I kept quiet, although I admit I had a big smile on my face that day. But the sadness in Caleb's eyes melted me in a way that's hard to describe. I'd never been one of those kid people. I wasn't keen on becoming one of those militant soccer dads who stood on the field at their kids' sports game, shaking their fists at the referees and shouting things like, Knock him dead, tiger. Show those little twerps what's up. In fact, I found overzealous family people annoying. Until we adopted Caleb, that is. After that, my whole world changed. Maybe that's what happens when people get older. The year before we adopted Caleb, I felt that paternal tug, like someone was whispering to me that it was time to be a dad now. The first year with Caleb was fun. I taught him how to ride his bike, swim, and fish, but when Caleb turned six, things changed. One problem was that physically, Caleb didn't change. Two years after we adopted him, Caleb wore the same size shoes and clothes as he did when he was four. Brienne called the adoption agency to ask about health problems, but the agency had gone out of business a month before, and the woman who signed off on the adoption hadn't been seen or heard from since. Brienne and I worried Caleb might fall behind in other ways. Kevin, Brienne said to me one night, I don't want Caleb's social life to suffer. His peers look older and he's so small. Oh, he'll be fine, I said, brushing off the thought with a smile. He'll grow, hon. Just wait. By this time next year, he'll be a giant. But one year later, we were still waiting for that growth spurt to begin. Brienne's eyes clouded with apprehension. Something has to be wrong with him. This isn't normal. In my silence, I agreed. Aside from his paternal youth, Caleb seemed like a happy, healthy boy. He excelled in school, bringing home perfect grades. His teachers raved about his performance. Even in kindergarten, his teacher gushed about his poetic talents. I'll admit, I had doubts. I thought, how much poetic talent could a kid barely out of diapers have? But to assuage our worries, Brienne and I took Caleb to a clinic for an aptitude test. We wanted to make sure we weren't missing anything, 
Dr. Linda Hampton tested Caleb, then scheduled a follow-up with us one week later to review his results. When Brienne and I returned to review Caleb's test scores, Dr. Hampton shook her head, amazed. Her eyebrows arched in surprise as she reviewed his scores. My, my, Dr. Hampton said, adjusting her wire-rimmed glasses. What a kid. Well, what does it say? Brienne asked, shifting in her chair. The good news is that Caleb is not lacking for intelligence, Dr. Hampton said. And? Brienne asked. Well, the... These results suggest that Caleb's verbal ability rivals that of a master's level college student. How old did you say he was? Dr. Hampton peered at us over her glasses. He turned six in February, Brienne said, frowning with worry. Oh dear, Dr. Hampton gasped. Have you considered skipping him a few grades? A few? Brienne asked, her eyebrows raising in surprise. We couldn't do that. His social development would... Dr. Hampton nodded. Well, there are schools for the gifted. Caleb might feel more comfortable with similar peers. Brienne and I exchanged glances. I agree with Brienne, I said to Dr. Hampton. We don't want to stunt his social development or have him feel awkward around the older students. Then again, I said shifting toward Brienne. I like Dr. Hampton's suggestion about finding a school for Caleb that's a better fit. Brienne nodded. True, she said. There is a Ralston's Academy. Dr. Hampton nodded with approval. Excellent choice, she said in a tone vaguely reminiscent of Faye Dunaway circa Mommy Dearest. Ralston is top shelf in terms of its academics. I have many clients who have enrolled at Ralston. Students have to demonstrate academic performance at least two grades above their current level and have outstanding test scores, as your son most certainly does. A sliver of hope crept into Brienne's expression as she turned towards me. The clouds lifted from her eyes. Well, maybe. Dr. Hampton nodded again. To speak candidly, she said, Caleb's scores are off the charts. With these scores, I couldn't imagine what school would turn him down. He's sitting on a winning lottery ticket. I say you'd be wise to cash it in. That night, Brienne and I decided we would call Ralston Academy in the morning. And as predicted, Ralston Academy welcomed Caleb with delirious enthusiasm. Dr. Larson, the head of admissions, said he had never seen such astronomical test scores from a student Caleb's age. When he met us, his elderly eyes beamed from behind his glasses. You have a wonderkin on your hands, he said with a pearlescent smile, then slapped me on the back. How marvelous for both of you. As expected, Caleb excelled at Ralston, blowing everyone away. Even in the first grade, Caleb demonstrated a gift for languages, absorbing Mandarin, French, Spanish, Greek, and Italian with a dizzying ease. He hasn't taken any of these languages before? His first grade teacher asked, marveling at Caleb's talents during a parent-teacher conference. Brienne and I shook our heads. He doesn't get his skills from us, I said, attempting a joke. But the teacher looked unimpressed. She flashed a wan smile, then continued. Caleb's like a sponge, she said. He started Greek classes last month, and already he has such a brilliant command of the language. His Greek teacher who is native, by the way, says Caleb has mastered the accent to perfection. 
I suppressed the eye roll I could feel coming on. A little dramatic, I thought, but I had to hear this for myself. When we returned home, Caleb sat on the sofa with his babysitter watching the History Channel. The babysitter nodded off, looking bored out of her mind, but Caleb was perched at the edge engrossed in the program. What are you watching? I asked Caleb, whose back was turned to me. Ancient civilizations of Mesopotamia, he said, sounding drunk with awe. I rolled my eyes. Really? What about a cartoon or something? Caleb spun around and shot me a sour look. Not funny, he said, then returned his attention to the television. Hey, Caleb, I said, we hear you're impressing your teachers with your Greek. Why don't you say something for me? He spun back around, his eyes glowing with pride. Really? They said they're impressed? I nodded. Miss Simmons says you're doing excellent work. Then without warning, Caleb rattled off something in Greek. The authenticity of his accent sent chills through my bones. If I didn't know better, I would have thought the voice belonged to a Greek child. I would never have guessed that accent belonged to an Anglophone. My mouth dropped open. Holy hell, I started, unaware that I had vocalized my thoughts until Brienne slapped my hand. Kevin, she scolded. I covered my mouth. Caleb giggled. I'm going to record this, Caleb, I said, pulling my cell phone out of my pocket to record him. Okay, now say that again, Caleb. He repeated the phrase. Unbelievable, I said, shaking my head as I saved the recording. But before long, events took a more sinister turn. The fall after Caleb turned six, things started happening in the neighborhood. At first, we didn't think much of it. One day, we were finishing lunch when the sound of a child wailing drew our attention. We looked out the window and spotted little Todd Keller sitting on the street bawling. We rushed to the boy and moved him to the curb. His ankle was bruised and swollen. What happened? I asked, figuring he had fallen off a bike, but no bike was anywhere in sight. He clutched his ankle, wincing in pain, still crying. After he calmed, he said, Someone pushed me. Who, honey? Brienne asked. I don't know, he said, shrugging in confusion. I was just walking and someone shoved me to the ground, Todd said drying his eyes, but when I turned around, no one was there. Brand and I traded worried glances. Here, let's get you home, I said. Brienne and I walked him to his house around the corner, and Todd's mother thanked us. All of us were confused about the incident, but as the days passed, we forgot about it. Around that time, animals started going missing. It started with the next door neighbor's cat, then escalated. Within two weeks, six neighbors reported their cats missing. One reported a missing parakeet, which I thought was random. Why would someone want that, I wondered. One afternoon, Brienne and I chatted with the neighbors while we waited for the school bus to drop off Caleb. At first, I thought my cat ran away, Mrs. Jones, our next door neighbor said. But when five more cats went missing after mine did, I suspected foul play. The other woman nodded in agreement. What do you mean, foul play? Mr. Gross, another neighbor, asked, looking concerned. As in something dangerous? Mrs. Jones shrugged. Could be anything, she said, her voice hinting at something more ominous than she was admitting. Just saying, there be, could be some kind of... <laughs> Never mind. But Mr. Gross pressed her for details. Go on, he urged. 
Some kind of what? Black magic or weird occult crap? Mrs. Jones nodded and the other neighbors traded worried glances, looking more disturbed as each minute passed. Caleb's school bus rounded the corner and Caleb descended moments later. We waved at the neighbors then returned inside. What was all that about? Caleb asked as the neighbors dispersed. Just us neighbors talking, Brianne said, but Caleb wasn't satisfied. About what? Well, she said, people are worried about their pets, honey. People's cats are missing. But instead of looking worried as we expected, Caleb broke out into a broad grin, then giggled. Concerned, Brianne shot him a dark look. Caleb, she scolded. It isn't funny. How would you like it if your pet went missing? Neither of us was prepared for his response. He whipped his head around and shot her a withering glare, his eyes narrowing. If I were as dumb enough to let my cat roam the streets unattended, then I'd say I deserved what I got. The guy probably buried them in a pet cemetery down the road. Without another word, he went inside. Brianne and I traded glances horrified. And that night, Brianne went into Caleb's room to talk to him, but he wouldn't speak. Later, she told me what happened. He scowled at me, refusing to speak, she said. I joked, so are you going to give me the silent treatment forever? But he didn't crack a grin. I gave up, but when I walked away, I tripped and fell. From the ground, I glanced under his bed and... Oh my god, Kevin. There were animal leashes under there. But the next day, when we went to check it out, nothing was there. A week later, Mrs. Jones said that the police had found her cat buried in a shallow grave up the street. She announced the news to the neighbors, sobbing. He was buried next to five other neighbors' cats in a pet cemetery a mile up the road, she said, sniffling. One night, about a month later, I awoke to the sound of muffled voices coming from down the hall. Brienne was asleep next to me. Caleb was the only other person in the house, or so I thought. Who is he talking to? I wondered. I crept out of the bedroom, tiptoeing to avoid detection. I crept towards Caleb's room and pressed my ear to the door. He sounded like he was having a conversation. I listened. Caleb giggled. I wouldn't do that, he exclaimed. My eyebrows shot up as I listened. Who is he talking to? I would wait, Caleb said again, then giggled. But what came next made the hairs on my arms stand upright. The deep voice of a much older man replied, I can keep an eye on them for you. But I didn't wait to hear the rest. Without a second thought, I flung open the door. My eyes darted around the room, half expecting to catch someone crawling out the window, but no one was there. The window was undisturbed. I had opened the door in a flash before anyone would have time to flee. Whoever was here wouldn't have had time to escape. I looked under the bed. No one. I had opened the door in the middle of that person's sentence, whoever he was. Whoever had been in Caleb's room didn't seem to be there now. Caleb, who are you just talking to? I asked, panting. Caleb giggled. My friend, Daniel. Who is Daniel, and where is Daniel? Dad, Caleb said, rolling his eyes and laughing. Don't be silly. Daniel is right here. He pointed up at an empty space in front of him at something that stood at a height about one inch shorter than me. My skin crawled with chills. No one was there. Since then, we have taken Caleb to several child psychologists, but nothing has come from it. 
They either try to put him on antidepressants or tell us to spend more time with him. Never mind that we already spent lots of time together as a family. One psychologist said spending more time with Caleb might eliminate his need for imaginary friends. But the more time goes by, the more I question how imaginary Daniel is. Daniel knows things he shouldn't know. We've tested Caleb to see if we can trick him somehow, but so far it hasn't worked. One day I told Caleb, ask Daniel where I was born. Where was my dad born? Caleb asked the empty room. Then, South Philadelphia, Caleb said without a pause. And when you were five, your family moved to Pittsburgh, then California. They came back to Philadelphia one year later. All correct. And Daniel knew about Brienne's tumultuous relationship with her now-deceased mother. He knew about her depression as a teenager. He knew she had two miscarriages before we adopted Caleb. Caleb knew none of this information, so how Daniel knows this is a mystery. Caleb is 10 now, but he still talks to Daniel every day. But it looks like Daniel is here to stay. A few nights ago, Brienne and I were reminiscing about when we adopted Caleb. Then I remembered that voice recording I had saved of him speaking Greek back in first grade. Did we ever figure out what he was saying? Brienne asked. I shook my head. No, but you know what? One of my colleagues has a Greek mother-in-law. I'll send him the recording and see if he'll have her translate it. I kept that recording in my phone, so I pulled it up and texted it to my colleague. He texted back within the hour. He wrote, I sent it to her, and she listened to it. This is what it says. Don't you know who I am? When will you realize who I am? New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.